Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick A.R. Johnson. This is part two of the draft deep dives coverage of the 2021 NBA draft. So, of course, I am here with my draft deep dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing? Part two. We're doing it. Excited. Let's go. A lot of draft stuff still to cover. And so we're going to start off this episode by talking about some of the draft night trades. And there were certainly quite a lot. I think I've gotten all of them. I hope I've gotten all of them. But (laughs) I wanted to start out by a trade that actually happened well before draft night started, which was the Brooklyn Nets trading Landry Shamit for Javon Carter and the number 29 overall pick that became Dayron Sharp. I think that a lot of this trade was sort of predicated on yeah, this is entirely speculation, so don't take this as any sort of fact, but I would be surprised if the Nets having made a promise to Dayron Sharp was not a part of them making this trade. In other words, they had the 27th pick coming into this draft, and basically they gave a first-round promise to Dayron Sharp, but maybe they thought some other prospects would fall that they were interested in. Or, you know, maybe they just thought that this was a good upside play. Shamit certainly had an up-and-down season in Brooklyn last year, and Carter is nowhere near the three-point shooter that Shamit is, but he will help the Nets' perimeter defense, which their defense didn't end up being as big of a problem as it might have been last season, but Carter will certainly help shore up that perimeter defense for them. Yeah, and I think for Phoenix, I I think the trade even ease some cap issues that they may have had with bringing in the 29th pick and from the Nets standpoint I I think they just they had a group of guys at the back end of the first that they really wanted to get and saw filling legitimate holes in their roster and I, I think Sharp was one of those guys and this just kind of ensured their ability to get it so I I I don't think it's earth shattering for for the Suns, but adding Shamit as just an off-ball shooter is a, a nice, quiet addition for you know twelve, fifteen minutes a game. And I, you know, as we talked about in part one, I, I think Sharp is fills a, a really important hole for them. Up next, we sort of talked about this when we discussed the players that were picked with these draft selections, but. Utah traded the 30th overall pick to Memphis for number 40 and two additional future second round picks. And Utah got Jared Butler at 40 when I think he would have been a good pick for them at 30. And Utah also has serious luxury tax concerns that getting off of a first round pick certainly helps in that regard. So Mm -hmm. this trade really seems like a huge win for Utah, especially since Neither of us were particularly high on Santi Aldama being the pick at 34 Memphis. Yeah, l- looking at the results of the picks, the the this trade, at least in my eyes, is pretty disastrous for Memphis because I, I don't see Aldama contributing um, as quickly or to as high of a level as Jared Butler will. I, I love it for Utah. Uh, like you said, just major cap, cap implications for them and they get by far the better player in the trade along with future picks. So it, I, I, th- I thought that it w- went about as perfectly as it could have for the Jazz. And now a trade that I think honestly will work out well for both teams. The Oklahoma City Thunder stayed absolutely on brand by trading the 16th <laughs> overall pick for true future first round picks. And in turn, the Rockets selected Alperin Schenken with the 16th overall pick. So, I mean, obviously the Rockets won the trade because, you know, Alperin Schenken is going to take on the legacy of Hakeem Olajuwon, just like he would have taken on the legacy of David Robinson and Tim Dunker oh if he'd gone to San Antonio. Oh <laughs> no, but in all, in all seriousness, I think this is a trade that works out really well for both sides. Shangun, even for people who are lower on him, I think at 16 to Houston is a reasonable upside swing. And for Oklahoma City, they're just getting more future first round picks. So, you know, that's sort of their mantra. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And Houston doesn't want to win this next year because this, the last year they really have their first round pick. Um, but if Sangun hits, it's awesome value. And there's a guy that they 
clearly liked. So if if it if he does work out, then two first makes a ton of sense. And from the Thunder standpoint, I think it's a really good job of acquiring more assets and then kind of staving off just the constant influx of rookie deals that you'll eventually have to pay because if you're just constantly bringing in four rookies a year it's not feasible um salary cap wise or roster construction wise so i I think it's a good job of them to just get more pieces for potential future trades if they really have one of these drafts where they want to move up to that number one spot like I presume they will in 2023. So I, I I liked it for both sides. Up next, a trade that was extremely off-brand for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They gave up more draft picks than they got in trading 34 and 36 to the Knicks in return for number 32. And they got Jeremiah Robinson Earl at 32, and maybe he would have been off the board at 33 with Orlando's pick if he'd still been on the board. So who knows? But certainly interesting that the Thunder gave up two seconds for another second that wasn't all that much higher than their other two seconds. But I think that trade is sort of salvaged on their behalf by getting a prospect that I really liked in Jeremiah Robinson Earl. That being said, the Knicks got a prospect that I liked even more at 36, so probably a win for them. I I think it was a win-win for both. Uh, I love the McBride fit in New York. Uh, I think think they should have just taken him probably in the first round, but they end up getting an extra pick and McBride so it all works out and OKC gets a really smart player who fits their rotation and you know and avoids having to bring in yet another rookie so I I I think it was just a a minor move where both really got a player that helps what they want to do and then next Portland acquired the number 43 overall pick from New Orleans and used it to draft Greg Brown a player who neither of us were particularly high on, but a home run swing in the middle of the second round for a team that didn't have any other picks. I mean, not too bad, but certainly I would have liked a number of other players ahead of Greg Brown for Portland, given that they bought into that 43rd pick. I hated this trade. I, I thought I thought this was the worst move of the night when you're trying to appease your superstar and Damian Lillard, who is begging for better basketball players I don't understand why you trade into a draft and pick maybe one of the worst basketball players in the draft. Uh, Greg Brown is a freak athlete, uh, but he kind of proved on multiple levels that he didn't have a great understanding of how to play basketball this last season. And the trailblazers already have Derek Jones Jr. Brown's a little bit repetitive with that. I, I just, nothing about that pick made any sense to me and if anything i I think it just may have driven damian lillard even farther away well that's always a positive for portland (laughs) the next trade i wanted to talk about actually a little bit earlier in the draft but orlando traded the number 33 pick to the clippers for a future second round pick and cash and the pick at number 33 overall was jason preston my former fan-sided colleague (laughs) which is absolutely (laughs) wild to say about a player that just got drafted. But Preston certainly did not impress in the tournament, had a really rough game for Ohio, but he's got really solid basketball instincts and he's a great passer. So, you know, especially when you're talking about early in the second round, if the player you think can work out, then it's not too bad. I mean, especially given the bust rate of second round picks. I was certainly lower on Preston than 33rd overall, but certainly there were worse picks that were made, like, say, the Greg Brown pick that we just discussed. I I, I get it from the Clippers' standpoint of bringing in a good playmaker, a really smart basketball player. Um, I worry about how Preston's athleticism will or maybe won't uh, translate because I, I just don't think he's a very good athlete. But if if they're all in on his playmaking and basketball IQ, then the archetype of player makes a lot of sense for what they need. I I still would have gone with Jared Butler. All these picks ahead of Jared Butler make no sense to me, but I I, kind of get it. I I thought it was a reach, but 
from just a pure archetype and team need, it, it makes sense. All right, so we teased this trade earlier, but if Greg Brown at 43, the Portland trade for the pick that they ended up using on Greg Brown was your least favorite trade, this is definitely my least favorite trade of draft night. The Knicks traded the number 19 overall pick to the Charlotte Hornets for a future first-round pick that is heavily, and I mean heavily, protected. Next year, it is protected 1 through 18, which means the absolute best outcome for the Dicks is that they get the exact same position of pick next year. And then it's lottery protected for a few more years until, I believe, 2025, when it turns into a second-round pick in 2026 and 2027. I just don't get why the Knicks would do this, and especially since I was higher on Kai Jones than 19th overall, which is the player that Charlotte ended up selecting with this pick. This just makes absolutely no sense to me from a Knicks perspective, and given that they traded both 19 and 21, I have to imagine that they were planning on trading those two picks for a pick earlier in the draft. Certainly, given the buzz around the Knicks liking Chris Duarte, it seems almost like a given that they were trying to package those two picks to move up into the 12-13 range where Indiana ended up taking Duarte. But, I mean, the Knicks gave up this pick for a pick that, at best, is going to be slightly higher 15, 16, 17, like two years from now. And that's assuming that Charlotte doesn't get much better, by the way. And given how they played this past season when LaMelo Ball was healthy, it's hard to imagine them not being a decently high playoff seed in the East next season, at which point the Knicks basically traded 19 and an incredibly valuable player in my mind for a future first that is all but guaranteed to be a worse pick. It's a great example of awful asset management where you just don't get any value back in it. And I I think that point you made about them being really high on Duarte and being unable to trade up for him is important. And it almost just seems like they were like, oh, well, we have these two picks. We wanted to move up. We couldn't screw it. Just get rid of them. And I, yeah, there's just no value coming back in that trade for New York. So it's a rough look. The next trade for the Knicks was slightly better, but not too much. They traded 21 to the Clippers for 25 and Detroit's 2024 second round pick. I mean, by 2024, Cade Cunningham is probably going to have them pretty high up in (laughs) in the playoff standing. So that's probably going to be like one of those picks that ends up being, you know, in the 50s, might even get sold for cash later on down the line. And I think it seems to me that the reason that the Knicks did that is because they were high on Quentin Grimes and they were certain that he would be available at 25, which he was. He might have been available even later than 25, but certainly trading back to 25 and at least getting something for the pick when they were probably going to take Grimes anyway is, I mean, I guess it's a positive, but I don't know. I mean, they're really basically just getting not all that much in return for moving back four slots in this draft. Yeah, and it's it's very similar to the previous trade where they're getting very little value back. Um, and yeah, that that twenty twenty four Detroit pick, second round pick, probably won't be a good one. Hopefully, won't be a good one. But it just really seemed like New York had the way their board was laid out. They had these guys in specific ranges, and they just thought they could get the guys at the top of their board much later. And it's just, it's just weird asset management that I don't fully agree with. And it it feels like a, a rookie fr- front office kind of getting taken advantage of a little bit. Up next, I sort of want to cover two trades at once because they fed into each other. So earlier on in the day, Milwaukee sent the 31st overall pick to Indiana for 54, 60, and two future seconds. So that was an interesting trade. You know, the 31st pick obviously has a lot more value than those much later picks, but I guess Milwaukee just decided, hey, it's going to be a home run swing anyway. We might as well just get more second round picks for this one. But I thought that Indiana actually did 
decently well in that trade, but that trade ended up leading to another Indiana trade that I was very much not as happy with. And that trade was the Wizards sent the number 22 overall pick, who was Isaiah Jackson, to Indiana in exchange for Aaron Holiday and number 31, which ended up being Isaiah Todd. And Isaiah Todd at 31 is certainly high for him. I think we both had him in the 50s, if not lower on our boards. But I mean, he's an upside swing and that's really all it was. And they gave up Aaron Holiday and that upside swing that ended up being Todd for Isaiah Jackson, which is, I don't know, I'm not happy at all with that trade from the Indiana perspective. From the Washington perspective, I I actually kind of really liked it because, like like you said, Todd is just that big upside swing, and he, I, I think he will be a good shooter. He just really needs to work on just his basketball IQ because he looked lost in a lot of those G League games. But by all accounts, he's a, a really dedicated worker and learner. So if that mold of player really does take the next couple steps in development he he could be a, a really interesting rotation piece and i i'm still really high on aaron holiday and i think he he'll probably slide into their starting lineup or high-end rotation as that point guard from the pacers perspective i thought this was abysmal um they already have three centers on their roster who are pretty well paid and now they're bringing in another one and I, I it just doesn't make any sense i fully expect them to move off of miles turner probably sooner rather than later and there have been rumblings for the last couple of years that they were willing to move him but now it almost seems inevitable and i, I thought the pacers just had a disastrous night we will certainly get more into the Pacers' disastrous night later on in the podcast, but we do have a few more trades to cover. So another trade that happened before drafting actually started much earlier in the day, Ricky Rubio was sent to the Cleveland Cavaliers in exchange for Torian Prince, a 2022 second and cash. And let's just say that the initial reports of this trade had the assets flip. <laughs> with the Timberwolves sending the second round pick. And that would have been really questionable. But this trade with the revised updated language looks, I think, a little bit better. I still would prefer this trade for Cleveland side than for Minnesota side. But certainly the original wording of the trade made it look a lot worse than it actually was. I I, I was livid when it was first announced that it was Ricky Rubio, a 2022 second and cash for Tory Prince because it's Minnesota just giving up everything then. <laughs> um, but the the revised correct version of it made a little more sense. I, I would have liked to see Rubio, you know, go to a better team. I, I think Cleveland kind of sucks for him personally. Uh, I would have liked to see him be a piece of a bigger trade, but it, it always felt inevitable that he was going to be moved this off season. And you know, I, I like that they got another future second. I was hoping that they would have packaged that with something else to move into this draft to get a JT Thor, like we discussed in part one. Um, but Torian Prince is like, I believe he's a 37% career three-point shooter and he's 6'7", so he gives the Timberwolves a little, little bit more size on the wing, which they've been lacking. So I'm not a huge Prince fan, but I get it just from a roster construction standpoint. So it, it sucks to see Rubio go, but he he was never longed for the Timberwolves. Up next, the objectively most hilarious trade of draft night. <laughs> the Detroit Pistons traded Mason Plumlee and the 37 overall pick for the 57 overall pick. And now I know what you might be thinking. Wait, so the Hornets acquired the player and moved up 20 slots? But yes, that is in fact exactly what happened. This was Detroit just getting off Mason Plumlee's salary, which they signed him to literally last year, which was interesting. And as we mentioned earlier, the Hornets used that 37 pick to take a flyer on JT Thor. So this trade, I think, is a huge win for Charlotte and honestly hilarious from the Detroit side, especially since they ended up taking someone in Balsa Koprivica from Florida State who was 
Not on really any draft boards. I don't think I would have had him in a top 100, honestly. But hey, you know, he's a 57th overall pick. It's not too big of a deal. Basically just undrafted free agents adjacent at that point. But wow, <laughs> what a move. It was weird. Um, I mean, having to pay 20 picks to get rid of Mason Plumley is a choice. Um, I, and I, I really like it for Charlotte. I wish Detroit would have just stayed at 37 and taken JT Thor. I, I think that would have been an incredible fit and another upside swing to go with their young core. Um, it just, it, it was weird after, after their first two picks, I, I thought Detroit just did a lot of weird things, but I, I really like it for Charlotte bringing in a more veteran rim protecting center and, uh, and getting one of the best upside swings in the class. Up next, this wasn't a draft night trade. This actually happened on Monday, but certainly worth mentioning, given the implications that it had on draft night, the Memphis Grizzlies received the 10th overall pick, the 40th overall pick, Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and a protected 2022 first round pick via the Lakers. In exchange, the New Orleans Pelicans got the 17th overall pick, the 51st overall pick, and Jonas Valanciunas. And I said at the time that I really liked this trade for New Orleans, and I'm still in that camp, even though I thought that Memphis did really well to get Zaire Williams with that 10th pick. I think that Jonas Valanciunas is someone who makes a whole lot more sense alongside Zion than Steven Adams did. And the Pelicans also got Trey Murphy at 17, who I think will be a really solid add for them as a 3 and D type of guy. So... I guess I'm sort of similar to where I was on this trade before the draft in that I thought it was okay, but not great for Memphis and actually pretty solid for New Orleans. And yeah, after draft night, I'm in pretty much exactly that same place, even though the 51 pick was BJ Boston and the Pelicans sold off on it. And the 40th pick ended up being packaged to move up to 30 where Memphis took Eldama, which I don't think either of us were particularly happy about, but yeah, I mean, not too upset by this trade for either side, but I think I liked it more for New Orleans overall. I tend to agree. And it's if Memphis would have just gotten a rotation contributor at 30 instead of Santa Aldama, I, I would have liked it probably a little more for them. Um, I, I, I know they were really trying to move up even farther than 10, but were unable to. So I, I, I like what they got with Zaire. I like how New Orleans got Trey Murphy So and Jonas. Um, so overall, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty much a win-win for both sides. All right. The moment you've all been waiting for, the trade that I saved for last because it's by far the biggest and dwarfs all of the other trades. The Los Angeles Lakers got Russell Westbrook, a 2024 second-round pick, and a 2028 second-round pick in exchange for Kyle Kuzma, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and the 22nd overall pick. And I will just say, first of all, that a lot of the pieces in this trade were originally part of a discussed trade where Buddy Heald was going to be going to the Lakers in exchange for part of that package, Kuzma and Harrell and 22 overall. And I didn't love that trade for either side, but I thought it certainly at least made sense for both of the teams involved. But <laughs> this this trade, I very much do not feel like it made sense for both sides. And really my immediate reaction you know, trying to view it from a neutral perspective was, wow, this was a god-awful trade for the Lakers. And of course, the inner Kings fan in me was just absolutely ecstatic about every part of this, except for the fact that Buddy Heald probably was getting really excited to be a Laker and now probably will not be pleased about having to go back to Sacramento. But I think the odds of Buddy Heald not being traded by opening night are pretty much zero, especially after those announcements of the presumed Kings-Lakers trade. And instead, it turned into a Lakers-Wizards trade for Russell Westbrook. And, man, I mean, if this works out, you know, I'll sound really stupid for saying this, but I thought this was an atrocious trade for the Lakers analysis-wise. And, of course, fan-wise, I am extremely happy that the Lakers did this. 
I, I just don't get it. <laughs> I, I think it makes them a better regular season team because just the infusion of Russell Westbrook's athleticism and talent is, uh, it, it's, it, it makes them better from a pure raw st- talent standpoint. From a fit standpoint, I think it's awful. And if Anthony Davis continues to refuse to play center minutes, their spacing is going to be some of the worst in the league. And LeBron has always thrived with playing with point guards who can shoot and get their own shot. And Russell Westbrook can't shoot and he never cuts. And I just, he has zero off ball equity and LeBron James has always thrived with those guards who are legitimate big time off ball threats. So in the playoffs, I think it's just going to be weird and clumsy and their offense is going to get clogged up a lot, but it's, I, I don't know. I, it, it's tough to bet against three players with that much talent, but I, I just, from a pure team building standpoint, I, I really, really hate it for them. The Lakers. I I think this was about the worst path they could have gone down. I think Buddy Heald makes so much more sense for them. It, it's I I think it's gonna they're gonna be a it's gonna be a rough learning curve for the Lakers. From the Wizards standpoint, I really like it. Uh, they are actually kind of getting pieces to build a team around Bradley Beal, and I I think it's a nice departure from trying to pair these mega contract former superstars. Uh, with Beal and them being able to turn John Wall's contract into this, I, I think is pretty good for them in the uh, grand scheme of things. Ultimately, the Lakers are at a place where they're really title or bust. And I mean, I think this move mm-hmm. definitely increases their theoretical upside. But, you know, yep. really the way I'm seeing this is just there's so much downside risk for the Lakers here. And they traded their two best wing defenders, I would say, in KCP and Kuzma, who grew so much on the defensive end the last few seasons. And Montrez Harrell did not have a great season for them last year, certainly, but he's still someone who I love as a player, as an energy big man type off the bench. And I think he's definitely going to have a bounce back season in Washington. And, you know, also the number 22 overall pick, you know, not as key for a team that's very much win now, but there were certainly some players available with that 22nd overall pick that would have helped the Lakers, but instead they sent everything for Russell Westbrook, which, you know, again, it could work out really well, and I could sound incredibly foolish for being as down on it as I am, but the downside risk here is just so high for the Lakers. And I'm more than okay sounding foolish for it because I it's just a trade I would not have done if I were the Lakers. If I, I get that Westbrook is this mega talent i don't think he fits with these guys at all um and if i would have gotten that call from washington i i probably would have laughed and hung up pretty quickly so it, it, it's just a weird trade that i i do not get at all i i think it's not it's just it's just a bad trade all right so now let's move on to the biggest presumed winners and presumed losers and of course This comes with the giant caveat that we are talking about all of these players before they even play an NBA minute, much less before they play two or three seasons, and we have a real chance to evaluate their NBA skills. But of course, this is a draft reaction podcast, so, you know, I can give that sort of measured caveat up front, but, you know, we're not going to be too measured. We have winners and losers. We We have opinions on things, Tyler, and one of them is on who are the winners and losers of this draft. And... The first winner that I want to talk about is pretty clear, the Orlando Magic. Jalen Suggs fell to them at fifth overall. He is genuinely a future changer for their franchise. Like Genuinely, the future outlook of this franchise looks vastly different by Suggs falling to them at five than it would have if he'd been taken before that. And they also added someone who fills a ton of holes for them in Franz Wagner at eighth overall. So... I absolutely love this draft for the Magic, and I think they are one of the clear winners on the night. I don't think the draft really could have fallen any better for them. Um, yeah, and it, it it was perfect for exactly what they needed with their franchise point guard who can control the offense and play good defense. They they added an excellent wing defender with legitimate shooting upside and offensive creation. It's 
the the outlook for the magic just got so much brighter and i i think they're gonna be one of the most fun just prospect oriented league pass teams next season and another really the most prospect oriented team there is oklahoma city you had them as a presumed winner for this draft josh giddy might have gone a little bit higher than expected at sixth overall but they got trey man at 18th which obviously you're very happy with they got jeremiah robinson earl in the second which we are both quite happy with and they got two future firsts for number 16, even though they gave up future Hall of Famer Alper and Shangun to do so, you know, they did get future <laughs> draft assets in the process. Oh God, I hate you. Um, <laughs> and the, the pure upside of what Giddy could be with that being that six, eight elite playmaker is fascinating. I mean, getting man at 18, I think is an absolute steal. I think their backcourt has so much talent and creativity and scoring and playmaking upside that they're going to be so much fun and they're going to have to sit SGA for the entire season after 20 games again, because they're winning too much. And then they were also able to move off of draft picks for future stuff and not just bring in, you know, seven rookies that they can't roster. And that's really important when you do accumulate all these assets. We saw the Celtics do that for a few years and they were never able or willing to move off of those assets. And they just brought in all these guys and they were never really able to roster any of them. So the fact that the thunder are taking these big upside swings on these guys, where if they do hit it's franchise changing while also not getting bogged down in rookies who have no chance to make the team. It's just a really, really good example of asset management and how to build a team. And another team that had a really solid draft night, the Brooklyn Nets. Neither of us were very high on Cam Thomas, but him at 27 is certainly a very reasonable upside swing for the Nets. Dayron Sharp, we both thought, made a ton of sense at 29. And then Kessler Edwards was someone who might have been a first-round target for the Nets, and instead they get him all the way down at 44 as a 3-and-D wing type who will be a huge rotation contributor for them, I think. This was a really excellent draft for a team that, unlike all of the other teams that we're talking about here, didn't have any lottery picks. It was absolutely perfect. And the Nets are going to be so strapped for cash because they do have to extend all of Harden, Durant, and Kyrie pretty soon here. And they were able to, this, this last season, they filled those holes on the fringes with these veteran buyout guys. And now they're doing it with cheaper rookie options. And they they took the big upside swing on the best freshman scorer in the country last year in Cam Thomas, where if if he does hit, if he is that legitimate next level scorer, he's gonna just take their offense, help take their offense to even new heights that we didn't think were possible. And then they filled that bruising center dirty work rebounding role in Dayron Sharp. And then Kessler Edwards rounds it all out with his incredible team defense and off ball shooting is every single need that they had. They filled it with a rookie who has legitimate, who has a legitimate chance to contribute next year while also not having any of the attention or expectations placed on them where if they do struggle, no one will notice because they're in the background and no one, but the real diehard analysts are going to care. Up next, the Golden State Warriors, and maybe their fans won't consider them as winners because they didn't trade these two picks for a superstar, but instead they got the fifth and sixth players on my board in Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. They got someone who can be a 3 and D contributor right away in Moody, and they got someone who's a bit of a project but has absolutely astronomical upside in Kaminga. This was a wonderful draft for Golden State, even though maybe some people are not happy about the fact that they didn't end up trading these two picks for a superstar. I think that this will actually work out better for them in the long run because Moody can contribute right away, and Kuminga, if he hits his upside, will be a part of the next great Warriors team, honestly, and you know might even be the cornerstone of that Warriors team if he hits his absolute, absolute peak. Yeah, it's just a path that I didn't fully anticipate them going down, but I'm glad that they did where it was, they took the best player available on the board and they didn't worry about 
having to pick for fit because that so frequently just goes wrong and it never works out like you typically expect it to. But by taking the big home run swing, you hopefully prolong your, you know, quote or your, your success. And you also get that two way role player who's just a really smart basketball player. And I, I expect to contribute on a high level who also has some more on ball upside. So it, it was just really, I, I thought it was really smart usage of of both those picks there are a couple of teams that i wanted to shout out as honorable mentions before we get to the team that i personally thought were the winners of draft night but the houston rockets you know jalen green is an excellent pick for them at number two they got alfred shangun so of course i have to mention them in the winners section and <laughs> also getting uzman garuba at 23 i think was really solid for them so honorable mention shout out to houston also, honorable mention, shout out to Detroit. The Mason Plumley trade was certainly an interesting part of the evening, as well as the player that they selected with the pick that they got in that trade. But honestly, they had the number one overall pick, and they went with Cade Cunningham, and they didn't trade it for a bad package. They held out for packages that would be worth trading for Cade Cunningham, which there weren't any offered to them, and they stuck around and picked the best player available. So hard to hate on the draft for Detroit, even though there were some let's say iffy parts of the later sections of their draft. When you get the best player in the draft, you're, you're automatically a winner. I hated what they did with their last two picks in Garza and Koprovica. Um I, th- I think Koprovica might have a foreign passport though. So he might be a pretty easy drafted stash. Uh, but I also really liked what they did with their second pick in Isaiah livers. Uh, just really smart, excellent two way wing um, who will, help any rotation he's in and i i did despite my my quote-unquote hatred for albert sangoon um i i agree that houston made some really smart picks and took some really big swings and if if they if those guys hit they have a really promising foundation of roster construction going forward honestly i think houston taking both Shangun and Josh Christopher kind of automatically makes them the draft deep dives team. <laughs> yeah. And is, is, is your diehard and or is your, is your favorite and most hated player both on the same team? Well, no, my favorite player is actually going to be discussed now when we talk about the team that I thought had the best night on draft night, the Charlotte Hornets, they ended up getting James Booknight at 11, which I think is a really solid pickup for them. They made that hilariously stupid trade from the Knicks perspective with the Knicks, and they used that pick at 19 to get Kai Jones, who I thought would have been a really solid pick for them at 11. And then they used the Mason Plumlee trade to get a solid backup center who might help them while also moving up 20 slots in the draft. They used that number 37 pick that was the result of moving up 20 slots to get JT Thor, who I wasn't as high on as you, but certainly I think is more than worthy of a flyer at number 37 overall. And then they finished the night by taking Scotty Lewis. So clearly the Hornets are the winner of draft night for me, but they just had so many moves that made so much sense. And Book Knight and Kai Jones in the first round is going to be huge for their development. And JT Thor in the second round and Scotty Lewis in the second round, if either of them live up to their highest potential, then they're both going to be steals. And honestly, you know, Thor, that's a bit more of a swing, but Lewis, I think is a really solid selection, even beyond, you know, my aggressive caping for him. I think that's genuinely a solid selection for them at 56. I just love this draft from the Hornets top to bottom. I I completely agree. I I think the way they're building around LaMelo is really smart and, I don't think these guys are going to make them a better team next year, but two, two years from now, five years from now, eight years from now, they, the Hornets will be better because of this draft. And that's, that's the whole point of drafting. It's not short-term re- returns. It's building a team. And that's exactly what Charlotte did. And I, I, I think based on our projections for these guys, it makes a lot of sense. And when you draft a human being and a player, like Scotty Lewis, thing, you have to be a winner. And now from that, we, of course, have to transition into the losers. And 
the number one team that we are going to talk about in the losers section didn't actually end up making a pick on draft night. And that was the Los Angeles Lakers. As we've already discussed in the trade section, they gave up a whole lot for someone who is an absolutely atrocious fit on their roster. And they got rid of the number 22 overall pick in the process. I just think they would have been better taking Jared Butler at 22. And he's a good passer, good defender, great shooter fits exactly what, you know, what they need in that point guard role. And I, it, yeah, it was just a bad trade that we thoroughly went through earlier and it just, I, I don't get it. It is just weird. On the plus side for the Lakers, they did at least get some really solid undrafted free agent pickups, Joel AI, Austin Reeves, Chandi Brown. And those are certainly players that I thought should have been selected in the second round. I'm not as high on Brown as the other two, but certainly Reeves and Ayayi, I think, were clear second-round picks that ended up going to the Lakers as undrafted free agents. But we're talking about the biggest winners and losers of the draft, and those were free agents, and the Lakers always do well in free agency because they're the Lakers. So I'm going to use that as my excuse to call them losers on draft (laughs) night because those weren't draft picks. Those were just undrafted free agents. Once the 60th pick was announced, the Lakers night got significantly better. Um, I, I I think they did a really good job improving on the fringes with Reeves, Brown, and Ayayi, uh, three guys who I think are legitimate NBA role players. So fr- from filling in the pieces around, you know, their big, their new big three, those guys made a lot of sense for and were really cheap options. So I I, I did like those moves. So a team that I had in the dishonorable mention section was a team that you actually thought did poorly enough to just put them straight in the loser section. And that was a team that made some of the more confusing trades, certainly on draft night, maybe not as confusing as the Los Angeles Lakers trade that we just discussed once again in depth, but the Indiana Pacers, you had them as a loser for this draft. There's nothing they did made sense to me. I and mean, for starters, I like Chris Duarte as a player, but he's one of these guys who's going to help a contender take that next step. He's not going to make a bad team a good team or a fringe playoff team battling for home court advantage. And I just don't see how the Pacers got any better in the grand scheme of things. I he makes sense for their rotation, but he doesn't make them a, a very good team. And the taking of Isaiah Jackson is he's now the fourth center on the roster. And you, you, you don't need that many centers, especially when two of them get big time playing minutes and big time production. I think it's pretty inevitable at this point that Miles Turner gets traded sooner rather than later, but it just doesn't make sense. Um, even if they do move him to bring in a fourth center. So it's, it's weird. I don't get it. And I just think they're going to be just stuck on this treadmill of mediocrity for even longer. And up next, the Memphis Grizzlies. I wasn't as down on their draft night as you were, but that's mostly just because I really, really love the Zaire Williams selection. Certainly most of the rest of what they did on draft night did not make all that much sense. And It wasn't a draft night trade, but I certainly preferred the New Orleans Pelicans side of the Grizzlies-Pelicans trade. I mean, they got a solid pick with Williams at 10, but as you mentioned in part one, their fan base wasn't exactly all that happy about that, and the rest of their draft, I think, made even less sense. Yeah, and in retrospect, loser might be a little harsh because I do like him in the long run, and if he does hit, like, I kind of think he will. That'll be really important for the Grizzlies overall. Um, I just, I really didn't get the Santi Aldama pick and just overall what the the Grizzlies draft strategy was just such a departure from what they've done in recent years where they've taken these safer picks. So may, may, it's a little refreshing, I guess, that they took these huge home run swings, but it was really just that, that second pick in Aldama that I just really didn't understand. If he hits, he could be tremendous, but I, I think it's a really big if. And a team that made exactly one draft night move that we both thought, I didn't hate it aggressively as much as you did, but certainly not a positive move in either of our books. The Portland Trailblazers, whose only activity on draft night was trading for 43 and taking Greg Brown. 
I, I don't mind Greg Brown being a second round pick, but I hate the idea of trading into the draft for him and adding him to a team where your superstar is voicing that you need better players on the roster. And Greg Brown is such a project that he isn't a better basketball player than anyone they have on their roster. They, they didn't improve. He's a long-term project and he's very, in my eyes, at least extremely redundant with Derek Jones Jr. And up next, so first of all, just one more dishonorable mention. I had the Pacers in the dishonorable mention section. I also want to mention the Toronto Raptors. And, you know, again, as I mentioned in part one, far be it from me to question the developmental philosophy of the Toronto Raptors, but I thought that Jalen Suggs was a clear choice for them at number four, and they went with Scotty Barnes instead. I was a little higher on Barnes than you are, but still did not think that that was the best choice by the Raptors. And then Delano Banton at 46, when I don't think anyone would have drafted him, they could have signed him easily as an undrafted free agent, was questionable and then david johnson with 47 overall was okay but i mean the fact that sharif cooper went with the pick immediately after that and bj boston went a few picks later i don't know i wasn't particularly happy with toronto's draft night overall and you know criticizing 46 and 47 is one thing but really i thought that they should have taken jalen suggs at four instead of scotty barnes yeah, I, I, I like Barnes as a player, but nowhere near the level that I like Jalen Suggs. And it it was just such a reach for me. And I, I can't believe that they didn't trade down. Um, but maybe there weren't actual offers, which I kind of find hard to believe. But it's just a, a really big disparity in talent in my eyes with those two. I, I thought the Banton pick was pretty brutal, too. I had zero expectations of him getting drafted he's an intriguing playmaker at his size but can't shoot horrible defender um yeah that that didn't make any sense and i actually like the david johnson pick at 47 i i think he's a better player than he got to show at louisville but i yeah i I totally agree that the raptors just kind of had a a head scratching draft where they didn't come away with bad players but it didn't seem like they came away with the best possible players they could have And finally, a team that we discussed at some length in part one in this regard, but a team that, again, far be it from me to question their philosophy, but what were the San Antonio Spurs doing drafting Josh Primo at 12th overall when they certainly could have traded back and still gotten him later on? I mean... I mentioned this just because this is the most confounding potential trade, but the fact that the Knicks were so desperate to get rid of 19 and 21, I don't think there's any chance that they wouldn't have said yes to the Spurs offering them 12 for 19 and 21. And if you're going to take Primo, who I can almost guarantee would have still been on the board at 19, you know, I can't literally guarantee it, but I would have been shocked if he was not still on the board at 19 that trade just seemed so obvious to me, especially in hindsight, and yet they didn't make it. And, you know, who knows? Primo could end up making all of this sound incredibly foolish, but I just don't understand why they didn't try to trade back if he was the pick there. From a pure value standpoint, it was one of the worst picks of the night. And I, I do think Primo will be a good player a few years from now. I don't think he's going to contribute at a high level in the next year or two, or maybe three, he's going to be a project, but just taking him at 12 is just such a reach. And I, I tra- trading back seemed like it wouldn't have been hard and getting 19 and 21 from New York and just calling that a day and coming away with Primo there with JT Thor or someone and anyone else, I think would have just been so much smarter, better asset management, but I the the Spurs have routinely operated as this team where it's we have our board, we have the guy we like, and that's who we're going with. I, I just I don't think we're gonna see much of Josh Primo for at least a season or two. All right. And before we wrap up this episode and this season of the NBA Deep Dives podcast, let's talk about some of our favorite undrafted free agent players slash targets. And we talked about a few of them earlier on, one of them in particular, because he signed with a team that we thought had a terrible night otherwise. But 
Joel AIE going to the Lakers on a two-way is, I think, a really good fit for both player and team. And honestly, if the Lakers had taken AIE at 22nd overall, I might have hated that less than the Westbrook trade for them. Yeah, I, I like AIE a lot. Um, I, I think he's a he's the best cutter in the class, smart defender, just plays his role to perfection. And I, I think that's really good value. Just re- really of Reeves Brown and IIE, I thought were incredible values for the Lakers. And, you know, it, it just, it can be qu- quite a big benefit to be a big market team or have LeBron James on your team. Turns out who would have thought, well, especially if you've got both <laughs> a little bit. of an extra <laughs> yeah, Exactly. But another big rocket team, sadly one that does not have LeBron James, but a team that I thought did really well with undrafted free agents. The Philadelphia 76ers picked up Aaron Henry on a two-way, and then they also announced that Dyson Nix is going to get a summer league deal with them. I have to say, I would have expected Nix, among Dyson Nix and Isaiah Todd, I definitely would have expected Nix to be taken at 31 and Todd to have been undrafted. So... For the Sixers to get Knicks on a summer league deal, I think is a coup for them. And then with Henry, him on a two-way makes a ton of sense. And, you know, he was one of those players that was in the high 30s on a lot of people's boards. And so for him to fall all the way out of the draft and go as a two-way contract guy to the Sixers, I think is a big pickup for them. Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of Henry in a vacuum, but on a two-way value, it's really hard to argue with that. And Knicks has really tremendous playmaking upside. I, I think his shot and defense are pretty big disaster. So I'm not stunned that he did, that he went undrafted. And I'm, I'm guessing that his agency kind of played a part in that where they pushed him to go undrafted so he could choose what team he signed a summer league deal with. Um, but I, I'm kind of surprised no one ended up taking a shot on him. But it, it, it's I think those are two really good just kind of shot in the dark values, especially for for where they were ranked by a lot of people. And another player who ended up going to a team actually that I think had a, I mean, we had them in the winter section, so they had one of the best draft nights and they added to it with their post-draft by Warriors shining Ja'Cory McLaughlin to a deal. Love yeah. it. So talk about that. What are your thoughts on that deal? I, I think Ja'Cory McLaughlin was one of the biggest sleepers in this draft. Uh, re- really smart, creative passer who reads the weak side at a really high level. Uh, really good shooter, fun scorer. He's not an NBA athlete, unfortunately, um, which limits him defensively, but he's a pretty smart defender. So it's not he's not a liability defensively, but his offensive upside um, is just really, really fun. Um, and I, I, I think he'll actually be able to get some backup point guard minutes for the Warriors this season, I hope, because he I, I think he has legitimate potential to stick in the NBA for at least a few years. Up next, Renz Blydenberg, who was someone who was talked about as a high upside potential flyer. However, it appears that he has to go back to his contract in Belgium because he didn't get a fully guaranteed deal. So he's someone who I think might have made a lot of sense as an undrafted free agent, if that were a possibility. Since it seems like he has to go back to his contract in Belgium, that's a different sort of thing. Maybe he would have made more sense for the Grizzlies at 30 than Santi Aldama. And certainly, you know, the fact that he doesn't get a guaranteed deal, meaning that he has to go back to his contract in Europe, it's unfortunate for him. He certainly seemed like he was not particularly happy about all of that on Twitter, but he's a very interesting prospect and someone who will definitely get some looks down the line. If even if he didn't end up getting the guaranteed contract that he would need to be bought out of his contract in Belgium. And I I think this is an example of where not having an agent really hurts you where if, if you would have had that agent, maybe they would have been able to swing something more in the guaranteed realm, but it just from a, human perspective it kind of sucks for him because he he was this really kind of charismatic and friendly guy on social media but he has a unique and interesting skill set if he shows more shooting consistency and ball security this next year and maybe just a little bit better on defense uh he he surprised me if someone picked him up in 2022 so 
it's a bummer for him that he didn't get that guaranteed contract and but I I think he was still a pretty flawed player so it it doesn't surprise me that no one took that real big swing on him and finally Eve Pons who signed a two-way deal with the Grizzlies on Last week's episode, talking about the updated top 85, we went over Pons as a faller. I was surprised that you had him falling out of the second round, and then he did end up falling out of the second round, so good job by you. But with Pons, I think that he's someone who can be a real defensive contributor at the next level. The shot is ugly, but the free throw percentage indicates to me that he doesn't completely lack touch, and I think he's someone who could be a really valuable player for the Grizzlies and certainly softens the blow of the pick that I think we both questioned at number 30 with Santi Aldama. He's a little redundant with Brandon Clark, but maybe this makes Brandon Clark a little more expendable to them. Uh, Two players I absolutely adore and think have places in NBA rotations. Um, but Brandon Clark seemed to kind of fall out of favor towards the end of the this last season, so maybe the Grizzlies are more willing to move him uh, and some other things in pursuit of a more win-now guy, but they're very similar players. Pons is just this freak shot-blocking menace and defend multiple uh, positions, so... From a pure talent standpoint, I like it value. Tyler, we did it. We have reached the end of we our draft extravaganza. We have reached the end of this season of the Draft Deep Dives podcast and the NBA Deep Dives podcast as a whole. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me about draft stuff every week. It's been a lot of fun. I feel like I've really grown a lot in my understanding of the draft this past year and it's been great to talk about it with you every week is there anything else that you would like to plug before i put a bow on this bad boy no this was was a really fun draft cycle and a really fun draft class i i can't wait to see how these guys transition into the nba and what type of impact they make from all listeners, readers, followers, everyone who's kind of interacted with us over this draft cycle. Uh, it's It's been a lot of fun, and I can't wait to have a glass, or, glass of wine or 12 tonight and unwind for about a week before diving into next year's class. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And of course, you can find all of his excellent work on this draft on hashtag basketball. Tons of incredibly detailed breakdowns on a lot of the players that we discussed today. So definitely check that out if you haven't yet. Although honestly, if you haven't yet, what are you doing at this point? But The draft is over, and this season of the NBA Deep Dives podcast is over. Again, thanks so much to all of you for listening, and I hope that all of you have enjoyed the draft content and the NBA content that we have done this season on the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, and I will certainly be taking a break as well from basketball related content but we will be back with the nba deep dives content next nba season and we will be back with draft deep dives next nba season as well once tyler has had his 12 glasses of wine and then caught up on the next draft class (laughs) but if you've been enjoying the podcast please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using That's always much appreciated, and especially since this season was pretty different from previous seasons in terms of the focus on draft content, I would really appreciate any sort of rating or reviews that people would leave on whatever podcast player you might be using. And of course, I would also really appreciate any feedback that any of you might have as well. You can either reach out to me on Twitter, as I already mentioned, or via email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.